Great, so if you don't mind going with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, and what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is the fact that I believe that God is into giving us promises, and He's into bringing those promises to fulfillment. How many of you know that God is a faithful God? Amen? He's so faithful that He, he, he loves, He just loves promising us uh, literally giving us his promises and then bringing them, bringing them to fulfillment. And it's amazing, right through the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we literally see how God brings about promise. The whole of Christ and, and, and the cross was a fulfillment of multiple promises of God, right through the ages. And God is a, a promise-making but a promise-keeping God. And so when you look at the, at, at, at the history of of, of, of script, within the scriptures and you look at even um, Israel you know this is that often God will promise a son and he'll bring about literally it's, it's like a son that would, would come into, into into that moment of time and literally what would happen is, is this son would be a signal a sign a connection to the promises of God and the way we know this is we know that uh, God gave um, Adam and Eve remember after Cain and Abel God gave Adam and Eve a son called Seth, and the people began to worship God after Seth's birth. And so you write, you see right from the beginning of Scripture that the way that God brings life is through bringing a son into into the midst, and the son is often connected to the promises of God. So right through the Old Testament, how about how about Isaac? Abraham, God comes to Abraham. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Genesis 12, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And and Abraham's like, whoa, Lord, that, that sounds huge. You know, that's like way, way beyond what I can do. And that's how God is. If you are married here this morning, if you have children, if you have a ministry, if you, if you feel called by God to, to take hold of more of what he, what he has for you, I want to tell you today that God has got far greater things for us than what we could think or imagine. God's got, God's, God's a big God. He's not small. And, and God's got such a desire for us to not only experience his blessing, but to be a blessing. And so what happens is Abraham knows this, that the only way God's fulfillment, the fulfillment of God's promises could take place is if God had to give, God gave him a son, which is a symbol of the promise because the promises of God in Abraham's life hinged upon one man, and that was Isaac. Amazing. That God chose to bring Isaac into Abraham's life. God chose to provide Isaac as a fulfillment of the promise, but also as a key to unlock the promises of God for generations to come. That's why you and I, we are sons and daughters of God through Abraham. Amazing. The promises that God made to Abraham are relevant to you and me because God was willing to give a son called Isaac. Now we know Isaac was just a shadow type. I love the, the Old Testament. Do you know why I love the Old Testament? Is when you put New Testament lenses on and you go back to the Old Testament, you know what happens? It becomes so, it, it, it comes to life. The Old Testament comes to life when I put New Testament lenses on. When I, when I read the Old with the understanding and the perspective of the New, it brings new life to it, right? And so what happens is God says to Abraham, sacrifice your only son, your only promise. All my promises hinges on this son sacrificing. How many of you know that Jesus Christ was crucified as the firstborn among all creation, the first fruits, God's one and only son, just like Abraham prophetically had to show, listen, I am going to sacrifice my son. 
believing that if my son dies, God will resurrect him. That's what Hebrews 12, 11 says. That Abraham, no one was ever resurrected from the dead. Abraham had no reference, but he said, God is so faithful that even if my son had to die today, God will resurrect him again. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus comes and just Isaac is a picture of Christ. And Abraham is a picture of the father. And then God says, listen, just like Isaac was given, I will provide a lamb on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And then God prophetically speaks about his son, saying that you and I will not have to experience death, but the promises of God in your life and in my life can stay alive. God will sustain them and they'll come back to life because of his son that he provided for us on the cross. Isn't that amazing? And so I'd like to look at three accounts in the scriptures because I believe every truth needs to be established by two or three witnesses. And so I'd like to look at three accounts in the scriptures, uh, or two in the old and one in the new, that speaks for me about the promises of God and what God wants us to do with our promises. Because I know that many of you sitting here either have a whole lot of promises or maybe some of your promises you've forgotten or maybe some of your promises have died. So you kind of like, you felt like God gave you a promise, but it's almost like you've, you've buried them. And so I, I do believe that this morning God is wanting to, for Impact Rock, firstly, Impact Rock, God's got promises over this beautiful community. But secondly, God's got some promises over you as individuals and over you as families and you as couples. And God's got some promises over your children. And I want to show you from the scriptures how God firstly gives a promise and secondly how God comes and how he sustains a promise and brings life into a promise. Is that right? So we're going to look at three three passages of scripture. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. So you're going to, uh, I'm so glad that it's on, on the board. It's, uh, it's such a blessing. Thank you so much. And so let's go to verse 17 of, of 1 Kings 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned their house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Now I want to tell you that this lady was a widow. Now those of you who do not know uh, Hebrew culture, Hebrew culture would often, what, what, what the trend was this, is that widows that would have lost their husbands, their sons would be kind of their only sense of hope. Their sons would be all they had left. So if they had a son, this son would be able to look after them. This son would be able to work and fend for them. And it's the natural progression of life is that this widow would die before the son. That's, that's the natural progression. But if you were a widow and your son died, <laughs> you had no hope. You had no future. And so all the promises of God, all the future of God for this widow was laid in her son. And this, literally they were in the midst of drought. And Elijah comes into this widow's life and brings new life, sustains this widow and her son. Sustains, remember Old Testament, son promised the same thing. So that means God comes into this lady's life and says, I'll sustain you and I'll sustain your promise. But when God gives you a promise, sometimes that promise dies. And I, I, I believe today that God, it's God's design that the promise dies. Listen to what happens here. It says, the, there was no breath left in him. Verse 18, so she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Now often what happens with us, if we have a promise from God, 
God sometimes gives you a promise about being effective. God gives you a promise about your children. They're going to serve God. God gives you a promise as a church, Impact Rock, that you guys are going to be a, a lighthouse in this area, that God's going to use you powerfully, that many lost people are going to get saved. God's given you those promises. Am I right? And, and I mean, the Scriptures is packed with promises. I mean, we know that Scriptures are just... I mean, God is not, God is not silent. He's given us so many promises. But often when the promises don't come, often when the promises die, the first place we look is here. Oh, I've, uh, probably because I messed up. Oh, what did I do wrong? She's saying, she's saying, she's taking the blame for the death of her promise. That's what often happens to you and me. We, the first thing we do is the enemy condemns us and says, it's because of our sins, it's because of our failures, it's before, because of our mistakes. That's why... Our promise dies. I want to show you from the scriptures that there might be sometimes that we can short circuit the blessing and the favor of God. There can be times that we can reject it by our hard hearts or sinful nature. But I want to tell you today that God's design when it comes to promises are majority of the times what God does is God actually allows the promise to die. Not because of your sin, not because of your mistakes or your shortcomings, but because God has got a plan for those promises. Listen to this. It says, verse 19, it says, And she, uh, he said to her, Give me your son. Now, here's the key. If you have a promise that has died, the key is you need to be able to give that promise to God. You need to be able to let go of that promise. It says this. It says, And he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on this widow? Even Elijah doesn't understand it with whom I lodge, by killing her son. Elijah doesn't understand. How can God allow this promise to die? Verse 21 says, And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Can you say revived? Okay, thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm not a great cheerleader. <laughs> But I do believe sometimes when we say those words, it just helps us to remember. But this amazing thing, where did the sun revive? Did you pick that up? The sun revived in the upper room. Do you know where the Holy Spirit was poured out? They were busy praying in the upper room. I would like to suggest to you today that there's a specific place where God resurrects promises. I'd like to suggest to you today that the place where God's going to resurrect your promises is not in complaining or murmuring or striving or working harder. It's not in a place of flesh or trying to maneuver or manipulate things. That's not where your promises are revived. That's not where the promises of God come alive. The promises of God come alive in the presence of God. The promises of God come alive in the presence of God. Verse 22 says, uh, sorry, the verse, uh, uh, then it says, uh, uh, then the Lord heard, heard Elijah's voice, the soul, and he revived. Verse 23. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room. There we go, from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother and says, said, see your son, your son lives. Isn't that powerful? The, the, the woman says this, she says, now I know that you're a man of God. And that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And it's truth. 
Let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'd like to suggest to you today that if you have a promise that has died, I've got some amazing news for you, that God is committed, more committed to His promises than He is to our convenience. He's more committed to, to His promises than He is to us always feeling comfortable and feeling happy. Because sometimes we've got to go through those hard times. Sometimes we've got to go through those times where we're like, Lord, is this ever going to happen? Lord, is this child of mine ever going to serve you? And God allows those seasons, as painful as they are, sometimes, Lord, am I ever going to have this breakthrough at work? Am I ever going to have a breakthrough in my, in my marriage? And God's like, yes, I, that is what I've destined for you. You need to bring that marriage to me. You need to bring those finances to me. You need to bring them into the, the promises that I made over your life, over your future. Impact Rock over this church. Bring those promises into the upper room. Come on Wednesday night and bring them into the upper room. Bring them into the upper room. Listen to what happens in verse 11. I like it. It's Luke 7, 11. You guys have 7, 11 in this, in this nation. This is the way to remember it. Luke 7, 11. Right? Listen to this. It says this. Now it happened the day after that he went into the city, uh, a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. Now here's Jesus. This is Jesus Christ walking into the city. Um, verse 12 says, And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. Okay, he's a dead man. We know nothing about him, but here's the key. He wasn't just a dead man. He was the only son. Can you say son? That means he was the promise. Whoa! Of his mother. And she was a... She was a widow. Oh! It seems like the same scenario. A widow. No hope. No future. Jeremiah 29.11 I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bring about a hope and a future. Right? Not to harm you, but to prosper you. And that's, that's God's heart. But this lady, she's like, I don't have hope. Why? Because I don't have a promise. You know, you and I have hope because we have promise. Listen to this. And she's, she's, it says this, it says in verse 13, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Now I shared this on Tuesday night. The key for me with the presence of God is that when we weep and complain, we struggle to access the presence of God. When we weep and when we are negative and when we're coming down about the political situation in our nation, we're coming down about the, 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 the moral scenario within us, in our nation, all those things need to be addressed. But when we focus on those things, you know what happens? We take our eyes off Jesus and we put our eyes on our circumstances. And when we're putting our eyes on our circumstances, we don't have strength. Because just like Brad said earlier, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we can't be weeping, and I know there's pain, but what we need to do is we need to rejoice in the midst of our pain. We need to rejoice in the midst of our promises dying. Say, so Lord, we want to bring our promises into your presence, because the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. Amen? Verse 14 says, and when, he came, when He came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried Him stood still, and He said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us. Isn't this powerful that this son, this promise, gets brought into the upper room, but not an upper room of a place, but an upper room 
which is a person, Jesus Christ. See, when we bring our promises into the presence of Jesus, the dead promises come alive in God's heart. He's, I want to tell you today, over, over some of the people here sitting here this morning, I believe that God's got compassion over you and the loss of your promise. I believe God's got, God, He's got compassion for you. And you know, God gets glorified when our promises are resurrected. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4. Here we go. Verse 8. Now I'm going to read a chunky piece of scripture, but this is so powerful. Because this is a, a Shunammite woman. Have you ever heard of the Shunammite woman? Extremely wealthy lady. She had everything her heart desired. She was very wealthy, very well known. And you'll, you'll read about it. It says she was a notable woman in verse 8. And... Uh, she persuaded her husband to say, listen, we've got this man of God, this Elisha. He keeps on coming past us. Let's take this man of God. Let's make room for the presence of God in our lives. Very notable woman, very wealthy woman. She's got everything she needs, but she realizes that she's got to make room for the presence of God. You might be sitting here this morning saying, but Mark, I don't have promises yet. I don't have a grip on the promises of God yet. You might not be someone that says some of my promises have died. You might be saying, I need to have get some promises from God. I've got some amazing news for you. The way that you and I access the promises of God is by making room for the presence of God in our lives. It's by making room for what God is doing on the planet in our lives. I'm amazed at how people want to walk in the promises of God, but they don't make room for the move of God. Elisha was the move of, move of God on the planet. You know that? He was... At that point in time, at that point in time in history, the move of God was found in a man called Elisha. Before that, it was Elijah. That God used these men as influences in that nation and on the planet. You know that modern day, today, we don't have men anymore. I'm very, very, very delighted to tell you that the move of God on the planet is not Mark Harper Ministries International. I mean, I'm delighted to tell you. I'm delighted to tell you the, the move of God on this planet is not Tyron Daniel Ministries International. That's not the move of God on the planet. You know what the move of God on the planet is today? Is the local church in every community, in every society, in every city, in every nation. That's the move of God. The move of God multiplied, friends. Back then, in the day before Christ, you know that Christ, the, the Bible starts with a, with, a, with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. We know that. The Bible starts with a wedding, Adam and Eve. And you know what happens? Eve gets birthed out of Adam. He gets birthed out of her. Like God takes Eve and this bride gets birthed out of Adam. And you know what happened on the cross? That Jesus gets pierced in his side. And after his death and resurrection, he gives birth to the church, his bride. He's the bridegroom. And we know that in the end of... That's, you give God praise for that. That's amazing. That Jesus didn't come. He came to give birth. Why was his first miracle... At a wedding. Why? Because he came and he stated something. He said, I've come to give birth to my bride. I've come to give birth because the end, the Bible ends, the whole of time, the time on this planet is going to end with Jesus being reunited with his bride. And the local church is an expression of his bride in a specific location, in a specific place. 
And so if you don't make room for the local church, like this lady made room for the move of God of her, in her time, you're going to struggle to access the promises of God. It's getting all awfully quiet. You, you guys have made room. I can see it. You have made room. So well done for making room. That's why you're sitting here this morning. But I believe this is why it's important for people not just to get saved out of stuff, but also to get saved into a local church. That's why I believe that it's important for people not only to attend church, but actually to serve in a local church. Because they need to make room in their lives. That's why I believe it's important that we would use our houses, our places where we live, as vehicles so that the local church can function more effectively and we can minister to people. That's why I believe that even in our finances, the first 10%, I make room for the move of God in my finances. The first 10%. Before, go, before I pay anything, the first 10% goes to my local church. And I, us as a local church, we give France locally, beyond ourselves. The first 10% also goes beyond ourselves as a local church. Why? Because we want to make room for the move of God. Amazing how this lady does that. She's a wealthy lady. She's got everything her heart desires. But she realizes she's missing a promise. And then Elisha comes and he says this. He says, uh, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? What can be done for you? This lady says, can, he says, can we speak on your behalf to the king? Can we pull some political strings for you? How can we help you? She says, I've got everything I need. I don't need anything. She says, I've got everything. Now, you can be sitting here today, ma'am or sir, and you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the success that there is. But if you don't have a promise, you are poor. If you don't have a promise from God, you have very little. Amen? <laughs> That's very, very challenging. And so you know what happens? Gehazi spots that she's got everything except the promise. She doesn't have a son. She doesn't have a son. And so he says to her, about this time next year, God will give you a son. You can go and read it. It says this, but the woman, uh, she said, No, my Lord, don't set me up for failure. But then verse 17 says, But the woman conceived and bore a son and he, at, uh, when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. Now, this is amazing. She gets a son. She had nothing. Now she gets a promise. Just like you, you've joined Impact Rock. You know what's a blessing about joining a, a local church like this? Is you've just enlarged your promises. You came out of a local church, or out of, outside of this local church. You came from outside. And God, firstly, wants to release some individual promises to you. But God is also connecting you with some corporate promises. You are part of what God is doing in our nation. Because you've plugged yourself, you've connected yourself to this local church. And this local church has connected herself just the, using the expression of the bride, this local church has connected herself to a family of churches that, that's in more than a hundred nations of the world. Isn't that amazing? So what you've done is you've multiplied your promises by connecting yourself with Impact Rock. That's amazing. You being faithful here, and there's people being faithful everywhere else in the world. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches are being faithful and you know what? You be faithful in your part, your part of the wall. They be faithful with their part of the wall. Jesus gets glorified. And this lady comes and God gives her a promise. But here's an amazing thing. Is this promise comes to a place where he dies. In verse, verse, 20, uh, verse 20 it says, When he had taken him, 
He brought him to his mother and he sat on her knees till noon. Then he died. I couldn't understand this. I said, Lord, the widow in 1 Kings 17 lost her son. The widow in Luke 7 lost her son. Lord, why do you allow promises to die? And listen to what she does. She takes her son, verse 21. She went up, she went into the upper room and laid him on the bed of Elisha. On the bed of the man of God. And then she went out. Now I want to tell you today that if you have a promise, what do you do with that promise? You bring it into the presence of God. You bring it into the presence of Jesus. Right? You bring the promise of God into the presence of God. It's so sad how people often can talk about their promises, but they don't pray about their promises. Churches talk about their promises, but they don't gather together to pray about their promises, to worship, to sing over their promises. You know, the Israelites, the way they won battles, where they were worshiping and praising God, they, were, they entered the battle with their hearts and their minds and their voices focused around their king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. So verse 22 says, Then she called her husband and said, Please send me uh, one of the young men and one of the, uh, one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Now this is amazing. The husband says, so he said, Why are you going to him today? Oh, he's so religious. It's neither a new moon or a Sabbath. And she just goes like, Okay, it's all good. It is well. And that's, that's like, I'm sure you guys are like, it's all good. This guy thinks, I mean, it's so sad, that he thinks that if you want your promises resurrected, you've got to run to religion. Oh, wait, my promise can only be resurrected if I wait for Sunday morning 10 a.m. When the muses are really playing, and I mean the glory of God is like, I'm no longer a slave. Now my promise is going to be resurrected. Oh no, it must be on Easter Sunday. I mean it must be on Easter. It must be a special Sunday, special celebration. Otherwise my promises can't be resurrected. Religion will tell you that you've got to jump through hoops. You've got to observe certain days and certain times and have a certain ritual in order to have your promises resurrected. And this lady does not argue with him. Listen to this, friends. Do not argue with religiously minded people. And do not find yourself caught up in religion because religion will not resurrect your promises. Listen to what happens. She just carries on. She says, she saddled a donkey and verse 25, she says, she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. It's amazing that Elisha was right on the mountain where Elijah called fire down from heaven. And so it says that um, when, when the man of God saw her far off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman. Verse 26. Please run now and meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your promise, your child? And she answered, It is well. I cannot believe someone lied in the Bible. Hello? I've learned this. She was saying it as well. She wasn't lying. I believe she was speaking by faith. But she also knew that you can't share your problems with people that can't help you. I want to tell you today, if you've got some promises that need to be resurrected, 
You can't share your problems with people that can't help you. I've learned this at a restaurant. If they get the order wrong, it doesn't help me speaking to the waiter about it. I need to speak to the manager. They can do something about it. I mean, if the waiter can't help me, how many of you know that sometimes you just need to learn to speak to someone that can actually has authority to make a decision, to make, to actually make a difference to your scenario? Even in this church, friends, if someone offends you, don't share your problems with someone else. That's not the way to step into God's promises when it comes to your relationships. Because God's promises for your relationships is that you walk in forgiveness, that you walk in freedom, that you don't walk in bitterness and hurt. And you know how you're going to lose your promises relationally? You talk about what someone else did instead of speaking to someone that did it to you. I know Impact Rock, you guys never suffer with this, but there in, in, in SA, we have these challenges. Hello? That's amazing. You know, I mean, if, 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 someone, if someone does something or you're having a battle with something, I mean, it doesn't help you talking to your, your cousin Jimmy that's got a clapped out car and, he, and his finances are a mess and you're coming to him and saying, please help me with my finances. I want God's promises in my finances. And he's not even walking in the promises of God. Choose the people with who you're going to bring your promises into the presence of God with. Choose them wisely. Amen, this lady does it. Listen to what happens. Elisha says this, and I, I, I don't have time to read it, but you know what he does? He says he gives, her a, he gives Gehazi his staff. And he says to Gehazi, take this staff and go and put it on the promise. Now many people would say, what does that mean? Why did he do, do this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Do you remember Moses had a staff? Remember Moses? And he had this staff. And when, when he came to God, God said to him, what's in your hand, Moses? And Moses said, it's a staff. God said, throw it on the ground. And it became a snake. Am I right? And then he picked it up again and it became a staff again. Just like Jesus Christ on the cross became sin. Because when, when, when Moses' staff became a snake, the magicians of Egypt, their staffs also... Their staves. Is that what you call it? Their staff. Each of them, their staff. Now, each of them had a staff. And, though, and, that, and that staff became a serpent. But you know what's awesome? Is that the sin was devoured by Moses' staff. Jesus Christ was dying on the cross. If you're far from God yet today, I've got amazing news for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He became sin for you. He became a serpent on the cross so that He can devour sin in your life. So that he can overcome sin. And so when we see a staff in the Old Testament, when we see a tree, because the Bible says, Cursed is any man that hangs on a tree, you see a picture of the cross. And so if you want your promises to be resurrected, you need to start with the cross. You need to start with the finished work of Christ. You need to start with what God did for you. You need to start with how much Jesus loves you. You need to start with the fact that Jesus said, It is finished. You need to start with the fact that Jesus opened up a way for you into the presence of God because we can't come into His presence based on our good works or based on what we've accomplished, but we come into His presence based on what He did on the cross. Sorry, I'm speaking a little bit fast. Um, I am so excited about this. Can you give God praise for the cross? And so he says, put the cross on the boy. Start with the cross. Start with what Jesus did for you. Not with what you do. Because we cannot earn our way into the presence of God. He earned it for us. That's why praising Him for the cross. That's why singing what we sang this morning. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. What He did for us is final. Amen.
And so what happens is um, Elisha comes into the, into the house where the child was lying. The Bible says in verse 33, Therefore he shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And then verse 35 says, After he prayed and walked and prayed, the child opened his eyes. The child was resurrected in the presence of God because the child was brought into God's presence and they started with the finished work of the cross. I want to ask you about your promises this morning. I want to ask you, has any of your promises that God has given you, has any of that died? Have you found Impact Rock Church over the last six years, God has given you some amazing promises. Have some of those promises died? We built our building, which we were just, Mark was sharing about it. We bought this piece of land four years ago. And it was a miracle. God just gave us this land miraculously. We bought 43,000 square meters. How many, that square foot is like, it's like 11, 11 acres of land that we bought on a very busy road. And we thought we we're going to build a building quickly. And then the money didn't come in. And so God said to me, die to that thing. Let that thing die and let me breathe life into it. Because you know what? There's two ways to have a promise. Either you keep it alive or God's going to keep it alive. And I want to be honest with you. I'd rather want God to keep my promises alive. And so it says this in John chapter 12. I want to close with the scripture. John chapter 12 says this. Verse 24. Jesus talking about himself, but he's also talking about our promises. He says, Most assuredly I say this to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Unless your promise, unless my promise, impact rock, unless our promise dies we're going to have to put it on life support but if we allow it to die out of our strength and we put it into the strength and the gracious hand of God into the presence of God he can breathe resurrection life into those promises and those promises can come back to life and be much fruit in our lives that's why Paul says in Philippians 3 that I might know Christ that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection you cannot have resurrection without death and God wants to breathe his life into your promises if you've got promises from the scriptures when it comes to your relationships when it comes to your workplace when it comes to your children when it comes to this church when it comes to your ministry if you've got promises from the scriptures I want to encourage you this morning bring them into the presence of God and let God breathe his life into your promises let's stand together I'm going to ask the musicians to come to the front I'm going to trust God this morning that He's going to come and breathe some life into our promises. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus.